0: Hello, everyone. We have Amy Cooper on the episode today. I'm so excited to get to hear her story along with you guys. So Amy, I'm just going to throw it at you. Start wherever you'd like.
1: Thanks. I'm so excited to be able to start healing and hopefully help others too. So thank you so much. And um, I guess I'll just jump right in. I will introduce myself. Like you said, my name is Amy Cooper. Um, I actually have four babies already. And I have a 12 year old and a nine year old, a six year old and a four year old. So, um, pretty much this was, you know, we were going to have our fifth baby and we were all pretty excited. Um, we decided to wait for a while to tell people, um, my husband and I have been married for, this will be our 15th, year we got married in 2005 so we've been together for a while um you know we were pretty I guess pretty content with four and um you know excited to have a fifth and we were gonna name her Quinn actually we were gonna name our fifth baby Quinn whether it was a boy or a girl because you know Quinn meaning five it just was so fitting Yeah, I Um, like that. (laughs) So we were going to name her Quinn. Um, We found out we were pregnant um, in late, late last year. Um, We decided to wait until around Christmas time to tell everyone I was past 12 weeks. I had had everything looked great. I didn't have any spotting. It was a very normal pregnancy, which I've actually had um, with all four of my other kids. The only complications that I've ever had were um, my uterus liked to bleed a little bit um, after I would um, deliver the placenta. But other than that, I'd have no complications. Um, You know, nothing that I ever required like, you know, a blood transfusion or any secondary um, other than medication to like control the bleeding. Um, I never required any other intervention. So I mean, I was a really healthy pregnant person. And we got a really good genetic scan done of this baby. Um, We found out she was a girl like around 11 weeks because we paid for the good, you know, chromosomal genetic scan where they can actually take the baby's um, chromosomes from your blood. And which I didn't even know was a thing until this baby. So it must be pretty new. Um, but they were able to do that. Everything looked great. Um, I was past the 12 week mark. I had an appointment, um, December 13th, um, just a regular run of the mill appointment. Um, it was my 14, 15 week appointment. Um, we heard her heartbeat, everything was fine. And my next appointment wasn't going to be for four more weeks. And at that point I was actually scheduled to have my um, halfway twenty week ultrasound um, right at right around right after the new year, so we told everyone I was pregnant um, around Christmas, and then you know I was supposed to have my twenty week ultrasound on the seventh of january so I had told my husband and actually a few other people that I just felt like I wasn't big, you know, my stomach just wasn't. For a fifth baby, you know, I feel like you should almost be showing like before you even know you're pregnant because, (laughs) you know, you're just, your body's used to being pregnant. And I told him, I was like, you know, I barely look pregnant. I don't even look really like I'm 12 weeks pregnant. And he, you know, he's like, every pregnancy is different. You're a little older now. Maybe your body's just different. Don't worry. We're past 12 weeks. There's no reason you're not spotting. There's no reason to feel you know, nervous. And I was like, yeah, you're right. You're right. Just try to chill. And so the morning of that appointment, I had actually taken a picture of my stomach, um, you know, because I was trying to document everything. And I took a picture of my stomach and I sent it to him and I was like, Rhett, like I just, that's his name, Rhett. (laughs) Um, I just don't feel like my stomach's big enough for being almost 20 weeks. I don't. You know, your belly's popped by 20 weeks. And I went to the ultrasound with him and we were sitting there and my youngest daughter was with us, Riley. And she was really excited, like so excited about being a big sister because she's been the baby the whole time. And, you know, she was just really excited. And out of all the kids, I have to say, um, I think that she really took it the hardest, which surprised me because she was she is so young. Um, but we w- we were sitting there and I told him in the ultrasound room, I said, you know, if everything's normal, I'm going to be surprised. And he was like, stop. Like you have to stop. Like everything is fine. And I think he felt like I was being like pessimistic, which isn't like me at all. I'm a very positive, um, good energy, kind of optimistic person. I'm rarely ever negative. Even when something is blatantly negative, I'll always find the positive in it. But I just I, I guess I knew, you know, I felt it. And um we were at a at a ultrasound place called Pinon Perinatal. Um that my OB sends, you know, that's where you go get ultrasounds and the testing and everything and then they work with her, you know, hand in hand. So we were at this place and I had a regular ultrasound tech because You know, I had a normal, quote-unquote, normal pregnancy. Nothing, there was nothing to suspect that was wrong. And I went in and I, we were in the dark room and, um, you know, by your fifth baby or even, you know, your second and third, like, you know what to expect on an ultrasound at 20 weeks. Like, the baby's so much bigger. You can barely see the whole baby in one picture. You know, you can usually just kind of see parts. And as soon as she put, actually let me back up. She measured my cervix first, you know, cause it was the big ultrasound. So they were looking at my body and the baby's body. And before she put it on my stomach, she was, had it on very low measuring my cervix. And she asked me, the first thing she asked me was, have you ever had preterm labor? And I said, no, like never, like ever. My earliest was at 38 weeks. And he was my earliest. Usually I go all the way to term And she was like, okay. So that kind of bothered me because she could tell that my cervix was shortening and looking back, I'm sure it was my body getting ready to like, you know, trying to prepare to miscarry. And she put the thing up on the baby and the baby was so small. Like, um, a little bigger than 12 weeks and the baby wasn't moving. She was just kind of balled up and you could see her whole body and there was a ton of fluid around her. And she started asking me questions and she said, when was your last appointment? Did it go well? You know, there was no sound, there was no heart. I could hear that there was in a heartbeat and I just kind of put my hands up and I said, I don't mean to sound rude, but you have to stop asking me these questions and just tell me if my baby's dead. I just outright said it. And she just put the thing down and said, I'm so sorry. I was not expecting this. And I just, my husband at that point, I think he was getting my other daughter situated Riley. Um, in the room, like with the phone or, you know, so he could focus on the ultrasound. And I mean, we had literally been doing the ultrasound for maybe 30 seconds to a minute by the time I had asked that. So we had barely just started. And he kind of perked up and was like, wait, what, what do you, what are you saying? Like, it was like that was the first thing he heard when I said is my baby dead. And she said, I was sorry. And, or that she was sorry. And you could tell it just broke him. It was, that was something new for me to experience having a man be so, you know, it really affected him too. And this morning I asked him if there was anything that, you know, he wanted me to talk about from his side. And he just said that being so far along, um, I was technically eight, a little over 18 weeks and being so far along, you know, it was shocking to him. And then he felt more sorry for me because of the heartbreak that I was feeling. You know, he immediately went into how do I protect her from this, which, you know, I heard other men on your podcast say that too. He hasn't Mm -hmm. heard them, but it must just be something that men feel so protective to want to protect their wives from that. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so, and then the doctor came in and said, you know, I'm going to call your doctor. Um, you haven't had any bleeding, any spotting. And I said, no. And I said, when did this happen? Like, I just heard her heartbeat, you know, when did this happen? And he said, well, we just measured her cause they had to do measurements, which was hard because, you know, I still had to lay there and get ultras. you know, get the ultrasound, even though I knew she was gone. And he said, she's measuring at 14 weeks and six days, which is coincidentally, I was 14 weeks and six days that December 13th that day that I had heard her heartbeat. I was like, was that the last time? (laughs) Like, were those her last heartbeats? You know, it was really confusing to me and upsetting. And I, I told my husband at that time, you know, when you're so upset, you kind of say irrational things. I said, I don't ever want to do this again. Like, I never want to feel this pain again. And looking back, I really regret saying that because you know, I, I do feel lucky that I got the time that I did with the baby. I just, you know, that pain was indescribable. And I think at that time I felt all the pain that I had felt for, you know, relatives and friends that had lost babies too, that I never got, you know, it just kind of all hit me like, Oh, this is what this feels like. And how insensitive have I been to all these women that I've known, but you know, you just don't know until you go through it. And, Um, They said, sorry. He called my OB. I was able to get in with her that same day and driving over there. Actually, I sat in the parking lot for a really long time at that ultrasound place. And I told Riley kept asking me why I was crying in the car. And I said, because baby Quinn went to heaven, like she's not coming home. And she had heard us talking, you know, she was in there with us and my husband had actually called my mom to have her come to the ultrasound place. And he told her what had happened. And she came and just sat in the car with me. And, um, it was really hard. I had reached out to my sister and told her, and I had reached out to my friend who had also had late miscarriages. And so I knew that she would know how I was feeling. Um, And I, we just sat in the car for like literally an hour and a half. I just sat there and I couldn't believe it. And we went to my doctor's appointment and she said, you know, with your history of bleeding, like, I don't want to wait for you to pass this at home. Like we need to get, we need to do this. And I was like, okay, like, am I going to have to go into labor? Like, and, and she's like, well, if you were technically 18 weeks and the baby was 18 weeks big, you know, I would, we would have to induce you, but since she's still so small, she's just small enough that we can still do a DNC. And I was really hesitant about that because, um, you know, DNCs are rough. (laughs) They're rough on your body. They're rough on everything. And I was scared. Um, but at the same time, I felt really, I hate to say this grossed out that I had a baby inside me that was, you know, had been passed away for three or almost four weeks, you know, like, and so I was afraid to see the baby. And so I decided that the DNC would be best. And she was like, okay, we can do it tomorrow. And I said, okay. And will I come home the next day? She said, yes, it's super easy procedure. And I asked her about how big the placenta would be and if I needed to worry, you know, that I was going to bleed or, you know, just I really needed to know the facts because that's how I am. I want you to tell me everything that's going on, why this happened, like what you're going to be doing, anything that I need to be scared for. That way I can prepare for it and handle it and get through it. And she said, "Okay." Um, she said that it was an easy procedure. She's never had any complications from it. I'd go home that same night that I should plan to be at the hospital for about six hours total, like, you know, two hours, get there two hours before check-in. The procedure is going to be about an hour and a half, maybe at the longest and then recovery and then go home. So she was like, you're going to be home that night. You know, it. you're going to be fine. It's, you're just going to feel a little crampy. And I said, okay, let's do it. And she was wonderful and she and I had always talked about how if something crazy happened where she couldn't control my bleeding that I'd want her to you know just take my uterus take it because I'd rather be here with my kids than you know (laughs) not with them well that's actually exactly what ended up happening and you know right before we went into surgery I asked her I said have you this was the last thing we said to each other I said have you ever lost anybody doing this procedure and she said never like it's you know it's one of the most common easy surgeries to do and that made me feel good I was like okay (laughs) good like everything's gonna be fine and pretty much from that point on every anything that could have gone wrong did and I guess in surgery, they were able to take the baby out. But when they took her out, um, the cord kind of ripped. So, because it was so thin. And I guess my placenta was at the highest part of my uterus. And it was, she said it was embedded kind of weird into my muscle fiber, um, which still doesn't, there's so many things about it that don't really make sense to me. Like, why is that a problem? But, you know, when you're in the hospital and you're going through it, you just don't think to ask those things. And so I never fully understood why my placenta was a problem. But pretty much when the placenta came out, every time she would release pressure off my uterus, I would just, it was like a flood into of blood. So I actually had four units, from what I understand, four units of blood down there. And I went into hemorrhagic shock. And what was supposed to be an hour and a half surgery ended up being a five and a half hour surgery with a life-saving hysterectomy. So they took my uterus, which is super sad. Um, but at the same time, you know, that's what we had talked about. She said there wasn't any time to do anything like a bakery balloon or you know, there just wasn't any time to do any other intervention. there just wasn't and um so she told she had told my family that they were gonna you know do the hysterectomy, and I remember waking up from surgery um, in so much pain, like so much pain, so much pain that i I can't even really talk about the pain. It was worse than childbirth it was Pain on a different level, like the kind of pain that makes you actually like mental, like crazy. And I kept asking for water. My throat was dry from being, you know, under anesthesia and intubated. And um, they wouldn't give me water. And I could hear my doctor in the background um, talking to someone. And I realized (laughs) I looked out the window and it was dark outside. And my surgery was scheduled for like one in the afternoon. So I was expecting it to be light when I woke up and I saw that it was dark. And I remember thinking, Oh, that's weird. Like, that's not good. Um, and I was kind of in and out at that point, but I could hear her talking to someone in the ICU and she was talking about a patient and she was saying she needs a room. She needs, um, a hospitalist. She needs to be admitted right now. Like, and, The more she talked, the more I realized I was like, oh, she's talking about me. Like something's really wrong. And so I was, like I said, kind of in and out. And I kept asking the nurse for water and she this is kind of funny. Um, I was like, can you please just give me water? And she's like, I can't give you water, but I can give you morphine. And I was like, okay, (laughs) I'll take it. (laughs) Whatever you can give me at this point. I can't give you water, but I can give you morphine. So they hooked me up on a morphine drip. I kept, you know, I was pressing it as often as I could. I was um, crazy in pain and I didn't know where my family was. And I didn't, I didn't know anything. And finally my OB, um, who I've just come to love, you know, she's like, kind of become part of our family a little bit um she came in and sat on my left side and said um I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you this and I'm just gonna rip off the band-aid I had to give you an emergency hysterectomy you can't have any more kids but you can be the best mom to the four that you have sorry that like chokes me up every time and um I just rolled over and looked at her and I said, thank you. And she thought I was going to be really mad at her. She was really scared to tell me, you know, that I wasn't going to be able to have any more kids. And I, all I could say was thank you to her. I felt so grateful that she was able to act quickly enough that she was able to save my life. And she had multiple surgeons in there. She had other midwives, um, she was able to get the baby's footprints for me, which I had asked for. Um, so I do have footprints from the baby. Um, and from there it just kind of kept going downhill. They took me to ICU and finally my mom came in there. They wouldn't, she didn't know where I was. Like nobody knew where I was cause I went straight from recovery to ICU and there was kind of a lag time and people telling my family where I was, I guess. Finally my mom came in around like 10:30 at night and I remember my sister coming and oh I guess around midnight around 11:30 um the the doctors kept coming in all the time all the time and my mom was like what is wrong and They're like, we're getting pretty concerned because we can't keep her blood pressure up. So they called my husband to come back to the hospital. He got there. Um, My dad came. And they ended up having to put a central line in in my neck to get blood pressure medication close to my heart. And around 3, from about midnight to about 4 a.m., the crash cart was in there. Um, I remember them putting in the central line. I remember um, seeing these tons of bags of blood and hearing them talk about plasma. And I still, it's hard for me to remember because I just remember bits and pieces and my husband was sitting at the ed- end of the bed for a while. I remember seeing him, I, you know, when they put it a central line, um, they have to cover your whole face and body with like a sheet, you know, to protect from germs
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, you know, cause it's a direct line to your heart. And I remember being under that. And I remember looking up at the light and telling myself, you're strong, you're strong. I'm strong. I'm okay. I'm going to be okay. So I think that I knew that I, I didn't know I was dying at that point, but I knew that I was not well, you know, that something was really wrong. And I, Oh, it's so hard, but the doctors were great. And I remember, I remember them saying, um, to my mom and to my husband, um, At no point did they say, like, I think that she's dying, but it was, we're very worried. We're very concerned. You know, we're doing everything we can, but um, her blood pressure is not staying up. They had me on every type of blood pressure medication. They had to take me off morphine. I guess morphine can lower your blood pressure. Um, They had me on everything, and my blood pressure was just barely barely making it. Um, are you familiar with what a map score is? I wasn't. No. So, you know, when you get your blood pressure taken, it's like, it says what your blood pressure is. And then it says MAP, it's called a map reading. And it usually is a pretty high number, like in the nineties or eighties. And I guess that's how much pressure is behind your blood, forcing it to your organs. And I've never needed to know what that was because I've never had a reason, you know, and I guess my MAP score, oh, was like around 30 at one point. And they were like, you know, (laughs) her organs might start failing. And finally they figured out that I was going into this thing called DIC, which I didn't know. I had no idea what that was um, until after. Um, But DIC is something that you don't usually survive. Um, it's, let me try, I'm going to try my best to break it down. It's called disinseminated intravascular coagulation. And basically, what happens is it's a condition where, let's see it affects your body's clotting process. So your body has a system to control your bleeding. And like, you know, when you get a small cut or any kind of break in your blood vessel, um, your body activates all your clotting factors. And the clotting factors, they're called like thrombin, mm-hmm. throat, I don't know how to say it, and fibrin, and they basically make platelets, platelets to like form your blood clots. And I guess DIC... You're kind of, you can be predisposed to DIC if you have like sepsis or like a surgery, cancer, actually having a, if you have ever had like an amniotic fluid embolism, um, you can get DIC. Um, Basically, blood clots form throughout your body and they go into overdrive when you have this because they wanna control the bleeding and they're working like crazy. So when I was in surgery, you know, and they were having to take out my uterus and I lost so much blood and went into shock, um, my body was working in overdrive, getting these platelets and trying to clot and making tons, tons and tons of blood clots. And after the aftermath, when my body was trying to heal, it uses all your clotting factors. So all of your clotting factors are gone. And basically your blood just kind of starts to run out of you and they're used up. And so you start to experience like excessive bleeding and it usually leads to death. Like there's not a lot of DIC survivors. Um, It usually like can happen in multiple locations of your body, like in your mouth, in your eyes, in your nose, you just start to bleed through all the tiny blood vessels and arteries in your body. Um, In my case, I was bleeding into my abdomen. I think from around where I had my surgery and actually just from around my abdomen in general. So all of my blood was pooling, into my abdomen and all the blood they were putting into me was going in there so in order to fix DIC you have to replace the plasma and the clots and everything that or not the clots but the plasma so you can start to form clots and over two days and two IR procedures the IR procedures where they go through a vein Um, they went through a big artery in my leg twice to find the bleeding in my abdomen. Um, and they coiled off a lot of the bleeding the first night they thought they found where the majority of the bleeding was coming from. But Wednesday night, I kind of tanked again, Thursday morning, they finally found the bleeding and my blood pressure came up and I was starting to stabilize. My hemoglobin level at one point was almost less than four when you're supposed to have around like above 12 is someone who is okay. My level was four. So, I mean, I was just hanging right there on the edge of death and that was just a lot to take in, you know, from losing a baby to like almost losing my life. I ended up having to be in the hospital for 18 days, almost. And I ended up getting some blood clots in my lungs from everything I had over um, between blood and platelets. Like, I think it was 17 bags of blood. And with the plasma and everything, it was almost 32 transfusions. Um, They had to call in my brother, who was deployed at the time. And that was pretty... You know, when I saw that my brother would came um he's in the Air Force, it was kind of eye opening you know, like okay, am i dying <laughs> like is this is this happening because nobody told me that you know nobody everybody was very calm around me, and I think in the aftermath of everything that had happened. everybody's always telling me well thank god you're here you know thank god you're alive I'm sorry your baby died but you know I think it's so you could live and I think that's one of the hardest things for me to get through after going through that is there's never it's not good that I lived and my baby died there's never a good reason that my baby had to die so I could live that's the way people say it. And I know that they have good intentions, but it really messes with my head. You know, like, Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you're alive. Sorry, your baby died, but you know, at least you're alive. Almost like it's
0: for the better. Yeah. Like, no, I don't hear that. Yeah.
1: (laughs) It's not good that she died. It's sad. Basically, you know, it's sad for everyone. And especially because I feel like there was no, we had, you know, we we opted to have a pathology report done to see if there was anything genetically wrong or, you know, you just kind of always are looking for an answer, even mm-hmm. though you don't often get one. And sometimes it just happens. And another thing that I really struggle with is people telling you this happens for a reason. You know, everything happens for a reason. It's like, you know, no, sometimes bad things just happen and there's not... There's not anything good that comes out of it. And that's hard to say. And it's even hard for me because, you know, I like to have faith and I like to know that I would love to know that, you know, God does have a plan, but sometimes it just doesn't feel that way because you can't see it. And it's really kind of shaken my faith, I think. And which is hard because Mm -hmm. it feels lonely and you know, we, we try to go to church and we try to really, I try to get back there, but I'm having a really hard time. And I love, you know, one of the things that I do love about your podcast is so many women on this, um, you know, you just really don't feel alone. And it does make you question your faith, but it's, it's hard to it's just hard to acknowledge something being a plan that hurts so bad. Yeah. I guess.
0: Absolutely. And I think that there's a lot of guilt that comes in feeling that way. Right. And that's where it's so nice to hear like other people are feeling that way too. You know what I mean? And the, Absolutely. Like, we're, not, we're not alone in that sense. And it's okay to feel that way. Um, so I appreciate you for being so open about that. Because I know that's not really an easy thing to be open about. Because there is a lot of guilt that comes with that.
1: Right. Well, and, you know, it's judgment, like, how can you not believe in God? Like, he saved your life or, and it's like, I'm I'm not doubting, I'm not doubting that side of things. I'm saying that it's hard to accept that his plan was for my baby to die, you know, or maybe it mm-hmm. wasn't and we don't ever know. But it's that not knowing that really shakes your faith, I think, yeah. because you want to believe that you know, God loves you and has your best intentions. And it's like, how can something that hurts so much be a good intention? That's hard for me. Um, And it's hard for my kids too, which that's something that I don't think a lot of people really talk about. Um, When you have older kids and go through a loss, it really affects them too. Like my oldest daughter is putting together this book that I found out about Um, two nights ago, she's been writing a poem for the baby every day. And it's like good writing. And I'm, I'm blown away that she's able to understand it on that level. And every night when we go to bed, my other two little girls will be pray about baby Quinn or something. And it's heartbreaking. And, you know, I've told my husband, I'm like, how do you feel? One of the things that I feel like I'm lacking For them, too, is that I can't have another baby. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it it never really fills the hole from what I have understood. You know, it never really takes away the pain, but it does, uh, I guess, strengthen your faith in your body. You know, like your body doesn't fail you so I can have another baby. I
0: can do this again. Kind of allows you to take that step forward. I right. Think.
1: Yeah. And so since we can't have any more, I talked to my husband, you know, should we foster? I kind of feel called to do that. Should we adopt? Adopting is so much, you know, and I feel like God has really closed every door except fostering for me. And I'm really scared to take that step because I don't want, you know, obviously, ultimately the goal is to you know, reunite a baby with their family, and mm-hmm. I'd love to foster to adopt. I'm just so scared that um, dealing with I'll all intre- heart- heartbreak. Right, I'll yeah. introduce my children, not so much myself and my husband, because I think, you know, caring for a child that needs it would override the that sense of loss for us you know yeah maybe not (laughs) I I, I don't speak from experience so I don't know but um, for a child I don't I'm scared to introduce them to more loss because it was such a big one you know we had the crib up and it was we just didn't you know they didn't get to see her and you know I I just don't I I just don't know and so I think her due date was on the 7th of this month So, um, actually having gone through the due date, that's been really healing for me. Um, because I was okay. I would have been 35 weeks today, or I should be this far along or, you know, always looking at other women's bellies. And, you know, there was a few women on Instagram that I followed that we were literally weeks apart, days apart and seeing them with their babies You know, that was really hard. But now that the due dates kind of passed, it's almost like I was able to kind of close the book a little bit, Mm -hmm. which, which is good. And I wonder, you know, had I been able to talk to you the week before, if I would feel so, I don't want to say happy, but I do feel so much better now that her due date is passed, because I feel like I've finally been able to move forward. You know, I wouldn't still be pregnant. I wouldn't,
0: not you counting, know, be counting, not counting these those days, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So totally. Yeah. Have you listened to Leah Frizowski's episode? It was like towards the beginning of when this podcast started.
1: So I think there's literally only f- like three or four that I haven't listened to. Like, remind me of her story. So she
0: was. She talked a lot about foster to adoption, and I don't know if you follow her on Instagram, but so she's foster- I must not
1: because Go I ahead. haven't heard it.
0: Yeah, yeah, you would really like that one, and she's um she's actually fostering right now three kids, um, wow. like a fa- a family. Yeah, you should definitely follow her. She okay, I will. She's got a really cool story. So, um, but yeah, if that's something that you're even that's even crossing your mind, that would be a really good connection for you. Yeah, I will. That's exciting. I
1: will yeah. look up, her up. I, you know, the only. It's so cool that we have connections like this. Isn't I it? I have mentioned that before. It's just but like a
0: family, yeah. It really is. And
1: it really brings you closer. You know, I said nothing good comes out of, you know, such a heavy loss. But you really do connect with so many people that you just didn't even before. Like, even relationships in my life, like, you know, with my husband or, with my daughter or especially like my mom and my sister and my brother, um, my sister-in-law, just really realizing what's important and having that support to lean on, even when you feel like you kind of want to close the door and be alone, Mm -hmm. knowing that they're there and that you have this giant community of women that have felt that loss, you know, that pain. And even though all of our stories are so different, that pain is pain it's still the same yeah
0: so absolutely. absolutely I really really
1: love that you know we got to talk and yeah. I will definitely look up Leah you said her yeah name Leah
0: awesome. um she was she was one of like the beginning episodes like for sure within the first 10 maybe even the first five um, she's really sweet too. So she'd be a good person to reach out to if you're interested in
1: yeah, um, I will. Hear,
0: hearing a little bit more about the fostering side of things. Um, but I just want to thank you so much for sharing your story. Your story is very unique. And I think, I think unique stories are so cool because they're really going to hit those people who truly need to hear it, you know? um and find that relatability like you said there's I feel like we can all relate in some sense to each other's stories but mm-hmm. when you find that one that really hits home with you it's like so powerful
1: you know the um, one for me that really did that was Lindsay yeah Um she was the actually the first one that I ever listened to and it was like I could feel the way she felt and I mean, I've, like I said, I've been able to relate to the pain, you know, the loss feeling with every, everyone that I listened to, but her story just really resonated with me. And it was so funny because I actually had, you know, how Instagram like suggests people, yeah. you know, or stories for you to follow. And I was looking at, you know, I had been following like hashtag miscarriage for a couple of days and hers just kept coming up and so I actually followed her on Instagram not even realizing it was the same person that I oh, was listening really? to yes and so when I saw one of her things pop up I was like wait is this the same girl and it was yeah. it was like oh, she was just weird. like said to me I know
0: the universe works in crazy yes, it ways. Was well oh, thank that's you so cool. yeah, thank you, you so much I always ask at the end of every episode, Amy, do you have one piece of advice for anybody in a similar situation? Oh, man. Hard question.
1: (laughs) I think we just are all so much stronger than we think. You know, you are so strong and the pain might not go away, but you're going to be better for it. That's just, I think that's all you can say because there's, you can't make it better. You just yeah. have to get stronger, mm-hmm. and you can. You're so strong. That would be my advice.
0: You can't go around it. You got to go through it. Yeah, and keep listening to podcasts, I guess,
1: yeah, <laughs> because, <yeah. laughs> you know, knowing you're not alone. Yeah. don't Don't isolate yourself, and it's hard. I mean, I do it to myself, too.
0: Yeah easier said oh. than done but I the know pl- the platform is there so thank you so much uh, yes thank you Amy I really appreciate it yeah me too happy Saturday enjoy your family you too <laughs> thank you so much for listening if you enjoyed this episode make sure you share it with a friend who could find it useful or share it on your Instagram stories tag myself tag my guest so that we can personally thank you this is a lampam fam you guys we're not in this alone we're creating this ripple effect together